Hello and welcome to Hell No, a true crime podcast with your host, Lauren Lucio. I am now on Apple Podcast, everybody. I did it. I made it through the steps, which was frustrating to me because you got to make an account, then they send your phone a text message, then they send your email a message, and you got to, it was, uh, it was frustrating. But bottom line, I'm on Apple Podcasts now. So please rate and review my podcast if you're listening on there. I've never had reviews before, so I don't know what to expect, but I think I'm ready for it. Only one way to find out. I'm also planning to get a new microphone soon, one with a pop filter that's not taped on the top of my microphone with a pen made out of nylon and a Nutribullet ring. I don't even know what I used. Um, Yeah, so hopefully my audio quality will improve. I'll be able to sit back. I'm going to have a little arm on it. It's going to go right over top of me while I talk. It's going to be awesome. This week's case is absolutely heartbreaking. It was, it was so sad to research. And usually when a case is just too much, like this one was, is, I just usually stop researching it. I think, you know what, this one's not for me. I can't, I can't get into this. I don't need this in my brain. But I didn't pick a new one. I powered through this one because it is just so mind boggling that it ever happened. I just kept coming back to it and thinking, what? the fuck happened here? I think it's important to cover this case as well because sometimes we see things that may seem odd or out of place, but because it doesn't appear to be an immediate threat because it's something that's not very commonly done, we tend to look the other way, even though our gut is telling us like something is wrong. In this case, it it shed it sheds light on what humans are capable of even at such a young age. I've covered young cases before. By young cases, I mean the people who commit the murders are young, but this is a whole new ball game. While researching this case, I purchased the book Let Him Go by Denise Fergus. There are a few books written on this case, but I chose this book because it is written by James's mother. And we are going to find out not only what happened, but also who James was in this episode because Denise, she wants people to know who her son was when he was alive, not just how he died. This was a highly publicized case. Even though I'm going to cover the full case right now, I encourage everybody listening to purchase her book and give it a read, uh, not only to support Denise, but because it is so detailed about her mental health struggle. She endured and, and still endures, um, not only from the loss of her son, but through through multiple tragedies that she faced as a woman. And I found it very inspiring that she didn't give in to her dark thoughts. And after all she's been through, I don't think anyone would have blamed her if she did. When I started reading this book, I thought, oh, this poor woman. By the end of the book, I was thinking, what a strong woman. There is a warning for this episode as it is about the murder and sexual assault of a child. And I will give another warning before I talk about the injuries. I wasn't going to talk about the injuries in detail, but I feel like if I leave it out, then you won't truly understand how evil 
this depraved act was and how evil the guilty party is. And what is most shocking about this case is who committed it. Today's case takes place in Liverpool, England. And first, I'm going to talk a bit about Denise. Around 1987, when Denise was 18 years old, she met a man named Ralph Bulger in a nightclub and they fell in love. About a year or so later, Denise and Ralph were expecting their first child and Denise couldn't have been more happy about it. See, Denise comes from a large family and she is one of 13 children all with the same parents, all the same mom and dad, all of them. Denise was born into a huge family to say the least. And she was the second last born. Between her and the first born, there were 25 years difference between them. This was a big family and they were a tight family. They were like a built-in community, which is amazing. Growing up, Denise didn't care much for school. Her heart lay with becoming a mother. She loved children, she loved family, and it was her number one priority. So for her and Ralph to be young in love and expecting a baby, it was absolutely thrilling to her. Her and Ralph found a place to live. It was small, but filled with love. Denise's baby bump grew big and healthy and strong. She could feel her baby kicking and she loved every moment of it. She set up the baby's room and was, she was just so thrilled at the thought of becoming a mother. February 22nd, 1989, 21-year-old Denise went into labor. And even as she was going into labor, she could feel her little baby kicking around and excited to come into the world. She goes to the hospital, and as she's hooked up to a machine to monitor the baby's heart rate, a nurse looks concerned, and she gets a doctor to come have a look. Denise thought, oh, this is just routine, but, you know, I'm getting some worrisome feelings over here. The doctor comes in and looks carefully at the screen and tells Denise, quote, I'm really sorry, but your baby seems to be dead, unquote. (sighs) Wow, that is the worst possible thing Denise could hear at that time. He follows that shocking statement with, it's likely but not definite. So Denise is shocked, but she's holding on to hope that her baby is alive. She just felt it kicking. There's no way her baby could be dead. And she goes through the the agonizing painful birth just clinging to the idea that her baby is alive when her baby comes out the nurse who is holding her baby says it's a girl and she's perfect denise says she's alive and the nurse says oh no i didn't mean she's alive i'm so sorry what the fuck is going on in this hospital baby kirsty she was stillborn is it i I don't know anything about protocol of breaking this news to a mother. Is this usually how nurses and doctors tell them terrible news? I don't I don't know, but this just seems cold. Denise couldn't believe what was happening. Her baby had just been kicking that very, very day. And although Denise, she had been offered an autopsy for baby Kirsty, they named the baby Kirsty, um, but she just couldn't bear the thought of putting her baby through that. So she declined their offer. Denise was able to hold Kirsty for a while and she remembers how beautiful she was. Ralph had been planning to ask Denise to marry him that day as well. And even though they were heartbroken over the loss, he still proposed anyways. And Denise said yes. Perhaps he decided to salvage the tragedy and give the day a little hope for the future. Either way, they were engaged. Denise was still heartbroken, and as she left the hospital that day without her baby, she remembers thinking, nothing can be worse than this. 
When she got home, she took down all the baby stuff, and eventually they had a small funeral and burial for Kirsty. Denise not only had to deal with this mentally, but also physically. Her body was producing milk and acting as if she had a baby to care for. A few weeks later, Denise's midwife comes to the home to check up on her and see how she's going after the traumatic birth. And when Denise opens the door holding a little baby girl... The midwife is shocked and immediately starts asking questions. This is not the situation you think it is. Denise was terribly upset and her family could see how much this was affecting her. A few weeks before baby Kirsty was stillborn, her sister had given birth to a baby girl. And while Denise was mourning the death of her child, there was a wedding that she had declined her invitation to, but her sister wanted to go and asked if she could watch her baby for a while while she attended the wedding. It wasn't far from Denise's house. And Denise, she was so happy to do that because she loved children and now more than ever had a huge urge to care for a baby physically and mentally. Her sister drops off the baby and goes to the wedding. And that same day is when the midwife stops by. This midwife is amazing. And Denise even says it was comical because the midwife suspected Denise had stolen this baby to cope with her loss. And she would not leave until the sister was contacted, went there in person and proved this was her baby and Denise had full permission to be watching it. Basically, the midwife was like, I'm not leaving until you prove to me you have this baby in your care, legally and ethically. <laughs> so fabulous midwife. She honestly, she did a great job. Denise and her sister couldn't blame her for, for doing this. She was just protecting babies. I could just imagine Denise giggling as she called her sister to explain what was happening. But honestly, good on that midwife for being so insistent. Four months after baby Kirsty was stillborn, Denise discovers another miracle is growing inside her and that her and Ralph are pregnant again. She is so happy, but also filled with extreme anxiety. She desperately wants this baby to be born healthy and happy. And since baby Kirsty was kicking and alive right up until labor, she, and she didn't know why uh, Kirsty had died, she was terrified it might happen again. Her and Ralph, they have their wedding while her bump is still tiny. She want to look good in her dress. And um, I didn't see pictures, but I bet she did. Denise is beautiful, by the way. Um, she tells her family she is pregnant after the 12-week mark. Her family is so happy for her. She was committed to the health and well-being of her baby. And that is an understatement. Denise says the hospital was, they were so understanding and caring and they let her come in for scans anytime she wanted to ensure her baby was healthy and growing. And boy, you know, she did. She was always there pestering them for scans, checkups, making sure everything's okay. She was doing the damn thing. Denise was at the hospital all the time during that pregnancy, determined to keep a watchful close eye on baby's development. Although everything was progressing as it should, she didn't want to push her luck. So this time she didn't set up baby stuff. She felt maybe it could jinx her. And also she couldn't bear the thought of coming home from the hospital without a baby and, you know, having to look at this home prepared for a baby and just having to deal with that again. She didn't want to do that. Two weeks before her due date, she was induced into labor as the doctors felt this was safer and it gave her baby a better chance to survive the birth. And they were right. 36 hours later, 36 hours 
later. You heard that right. 36 hours of labor later. That's, I don't know how women do that. It's amazing. On March 16th, 1990, 22-year-old Denise gave birth to a baby boy named James Patrick Bulger. She didn't know it at the time, but that is the name that would be plastered all over the media in a few years' time. Denise recalls holding him and vowing to never let him go. The first four months with James was challenging, but she loved every moment. She loved every moment she spent with this baby, and it was challenging because he was colic. So in her book, she writes, he screamed the house down all day, all night. Even though she loved holding her baby and being close to him all the time, she she felt terrible that she couldn't make him feel better and, and stop the screaming. And in her book, she writes, it's a terrible feeling as a mother to not be able to make things better for your baby. I'm sure this is a feeling that most mothers can probably relate to if you have a fussy baby. Denise also says in her book, she wonders if all those sleepless nights spent up with her baby were on purpose so she could get in as much time with him as possible and she believes it made their bond so much stronger she's thankful for all these long nights of him screaming eventually the screaming stopped and it was pure bliss after that she cherished all the first like first smile first sitting up first crawl the iconic first steps she loved it all she was loving being a mom she was loving having a baby she was in her element she was loving it since Denise had such a large family, that meant there were always lots of children for James to play with, as he had a lot of cousins and aunts and uncles. So there was no need for daycare. James and Denise, they would often go to her mother's house in the mornings and, and meet her sisters and cousins and, and brothers all there because they were so close like they would all go over to their mothers and everybody would be over there and she says that it became a joke that whoever got there early got the best pram park so if you're canadian or american we don't really say pram i never heard that until i moved overseas we say stroller i'm gonna say pram or stroller i'm gonna be mixing up those terms in this episode they mean the same thing james's grandma and grandpa they loved him so much they loved being grandparents they loved all of their grandchildren family was so incredibly important to them their children grandchildren they were just a tight-knit family sadly when james was nine months old his grandfather passed away leaving his grandmother devastated that the man she had loved for many years and had 13 children with was no longer by her side she was lonely eventually denise's sister sheila moved in there you know her mother had somebody to be with so she wasn't lonely all the time she was so used to having her husband there and, and now he wasn't so sheila moved in with their mother and denise and ralph took over sheila's apartment which was a bit bigger than their current one but just made sense james always made his grandmother smile and every time they went around to see her she would just light up when she saw james she was grieving the loss of her husband denise would bring james over there and her grandmother would just be so happy to hold him and cuddle him and spend time with him James, according to Denise, was a very special little boy. 
(laughs) she says that all mothers are probably biased, but she thinks James was well advanced for his age and also very caring. Like she says he had no problem sharing his toys. And if another child was like, hey, I want that toy, you know, they get grabby, he would be like, yeah, you can have, well, he wasn't saying full sentences, but he would hand it over and be like, yeah. And then he would find another toy to play with. Eventually, James had his first Christmas and Denise was capturing the treasured moments in pictures. That year of his first Christmas, they got him a go-kart, but he really enjoyed playing with the box more. One of Denise's happiest moments was James's first Easter when he got into all the chocolate and that they had bought him and they bought him a ton of chocolate. Um, and he had melted chocolate all over his hands and she took a photo right before his hands smeared on the white carpet. And you know what? She wasn't even mad about it. She said it was just so cute. She loved that moment so much. She didn't even mind scrubbing that carpet for hours to get the chocolate out. She didn't mind one bit. Denise and James, they spent all day every day together. She never took a job because she just wanted to care for her son. She wanted, she was mom 24-7 and loving it. She enjoyed watching him get excited and dance around when his favorite musician, Michael, his favorite musician was Michael Jackson. So he would get really excited when Michael Jackson would come on and his favorite song was Remember the Time. The time was approaching though when James would need to start school and Denise was getting the paperwork lined up and sorted for preschool. Now, this brings us to the day that changed Denise's life forever. A day that will haunt her for the rest of her life. February 12, 1993. That morning, her and James went over to her mother's house as usual. And this day, her sister Nicola asked her if she wanted to pop out to the Strand Shopping Center with her in Boodle and Denise agreed and she was like yeah I could use some stuff for dinner and Nicola is going to bring her daughter Vanessa her and James are kind of the same age so he would have someone to play with while they shopped maybe he wouldn't get bored you know he'd have a little friend there with him before leaving she thought to bring James's pram stroller pram stroller but there wasn't a lot of space in Nicola's car and they were going to be right back. So Denise decided against bringing it. And this is one thing of many things that day that still haunt her. It was the first time she had ever taken James out without it. And she even remembers clearly thinking, oh, this will be a first. He was old enough to walk around now. And again, they weren't going for long. They arrived at the shops and she's rushing around. She has to get what she needs before her baby gets bored because a bored child... I'm, I, you know, I'm not a mother, but I could just guess that is no walk in the park. So she's rushing around. She's getting what she needs. They're actually coming out of one shop and she looks down at James and he's got a handful of candy. She goes, where'd you get that from? And he's putting it in his mouth. He's eating it, having such a good time. He's giggling. And she realized, oh, <laughs> he stuck his hand in a candy bowl at a shop and took it. And she was like, oh my goodness. So they immediately went, they immediately went back to that store and she explained what had happened and she paid for the candy, which I found so cute because it's innocent. There is no way he knew that what he was doing was stealing. He just saw some candy and he grabbed it and he was just loving life, shoving this candy in his mouth that he had gotten independently. (laughs) So yeah. James was starting to reach the end of his tether, which means he was getting bored, he was getting restless, he was getting hard to handle. So Denise knew she had to wrap wrap up her shopping trip quickly or he was 
going to be hard to handle. So her last shop was the butcher's where she needed to buy some chops. I think it's pork chops. She says chops. I'm going to say pork chops. I'm going to say she means pork chops. So they call them chops. Ralph had been out working hard all day and she thought a nice dinner was needed. Denise, she had a hold of James while the butcher was grabbing her chops. She had picked out the chops she wanted. The butcher was wrapping them up for her. She was holding on to James. Um, Once they were wrapped up and placed on the counter, the butcher said hello to James. And at 3.39 p.m., Denise let go of James to get money out of her purse to pay the man for the chops. It had only taken her probably 15 seconds, maybe less to do this. But when she looked down, James was gone. She immediately does not feel right about this situation. And she asked Nicola, who was at the other end of the counter paying for her her goods and services, her, her purchase, if, and if she had knew where James went. And she was like, no, they can see Vanessa. They can see Nicola's little girl, but no James. Denise was at the counter closest to the door. So she immediately runs out looking for him, but she can't see him. She can either go left or right at this point to search for him. And to this day, she wishes she would have went the other way. Denise leaves the shop and runs left. She runs to the ground floor security and information center looking for James along the way. She is like, where is my baby? She's looking everywhere. By the time she reaches the security center, she's frantic. She is panicked and she tells them her son is missing and she can't find him. Security tell her, take a seat and we'll find him and says, and she says, no, my baby is lost. She wasn't going to sit there and do nothing while her son was lost. She was frantic. She wa- she was, yeah, she was in full panic mode. They ask her, okay, what does he look like? What is he wearing? And so they can fan out and, and search the location. And this is the first time out of many, many times she will have to describe her son's outfit that day. It was a gray tracksuit with a white stripe up the side, a puffy blue jacket and white shoes and socks. Security put out an announcement over the loudspeaker for people to look for the missing boy in the description of him. Denise is frantic. She is running around asking everybody if they had seen her son. She was running into shops asking them. She was looking under clothing racks and in all these little corners, any little hiding spot maybe he could get into. One woman asks her if she's all right and she explains she's looking for her son. And the woman says, oh, they found him. He's uh, at a shop on the second floor. So Denise is like, what? And she races up there and, and the shop tells her, oh, no, no, it's not this shop. It's it's two shops down. So she's like, what? So then she runs to that shop and then it turned out it was false information. I don't know if it was a boy who matched the description of her boy, but then it turned out it wasn't or what, but they did not find James. Denise ran around the shop screaming his name in desperation, which just thinking about that is heartbreaking. The To Denise, the world was just swirling all around her. She was just in sheer panic mode. A shopkeeper offered her to sit down and have a coffee. And although she knows the intention, the intention was pure and kind of the shopkeeper to offer her that, she said, I'm not sitting down to have a bloody coffee. I'm looking for my son. That So that shopkeeper is like, okay, like maybe I can help her in another way. So she gets a crowd together and everybody is searching for James. 40 minutes after James has, had vanished, they, event, they were like, okay, we need to call police. So they call police and they report a missing child at 4.22 p.m. The officer to get the call was PC Mandy Waller. 
By 5.30, the shops are all closing and they still have not found James. Denise wanted to hear desperately that they had located him and that he was safe and that she could hug him and then never, ever, 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 ever let him go. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen. And Denise is asked to leave and come down to the police station for more information. She is mortified that she has to leave the shops without her baby. It doesn't feel right to her. But after some persuasion, she goes. It was cold that day and it was getting dark and it, it didn't sit well with her that her son could be lost in the dark and that it was just so cold and that he was probably getting cold and he wasn't comfortable and maybe he wasn't safe. She just had all these thoughts racing through her mind. There was a canal nearby and police thought maybe he had fallen in so they were searching around there. Another thought was that he got himself stuck in a small hiding place while he was playing around and maybe they couldn't find him and he was stuck in the shopping center somewhere but Denise knows that they searched that shopping center to the best that they could and he was not there at the police station Denise was being asked all kinds of questions she refers to as stupid and I'm sure to her every question would have been stupid because she's probably like this is so stupid like go find my son what are you doing I could just see that being the situation she later says that she had no idea but there was at that time there was so many people looking for james while she was being questioned it was a huge search actually with helicopters police and the community all looking for james finally ralph arrives at the police station and denise is screaming find him i only let go for a second and ralph is hugging denise but she is just inconsolable the shopping center did have security cameras, so Denise and Ralph were asked to come back to the shopping center to look over some footage just after midnight, the day that James went missing. This is what they see. 3.39, James walks out of the butchers. 3.40, Denise is running out of the butchers looking for him. At the same time, James is seen on the upper floor, which means when he left the shop, he went right. She had no way of knowing which way that he went. Unfortunately, the cameras are some kind of lock system, which I maybe it was popular in the 90s or something before they had the technology they have today, but that means they don't record continuously, only for a few seconds at a time, and the footage is really grainy and really poor quality. But please, they keep looking, and on the cameras, they catch another glimpse. Uh, time stamped at 3.42 and it's James holding hands with another child and at 3.43 they are seen leaving the shopping center together. This photo, this still image of this video was everywhere when this case went huge um, and if you look it up you'll see it and it's a grainy image of a boy holding a toddler's hand leading him out of the shopping center. Once you know this case, you know how haunting this image is. This all happened so incredibly fast. 3.39, Denise lets go of her child for 15 seconds. 3.43, that child is leaving the shopping center with strangers. It's just 
unbelievable how fast it happened. It only took seconds to get him away from his mother and only minutes to disappear off the property with him. Initially, Denise and police are feeling relieved. Oh, nothing sinister has happened because they were all thinking they would have seen James leaving with an adult man or woman. But the fact that it was another child gave them hope that he was just playing with these boys somewhere, that he followed them out, nothing sinister was happening and it was just innocent and maybe he was in someone's yard playing with these boys or lost the next day on saturday at 11 a.m police hold a press conference and denise speaks to the media asking that if anyone has her baby to please bring him back she couldn't really get out anything else as she was just so destroyed she just broke down crying also that same day, police released the images captured on the security cameras of the boys leaving the shopping center, and the public is encouraged to come forward if they recognize these boys, if they know who they are, if they have any information about it at all. This was globally broadcasted, and media from around the world was covering this story. Police were still looking for James in the canal and they had divers, uh, they had divers go down in there and were actually searching it with divers and they were also dragging the canal. They did find a pair of children's shoes and they showed Denise, they're like, are these James's shoes? And at first she's like, oh my God. And then she's like, no, they're not, they're not his shoes. And for a moment she was relieved, but then the realization her son was still lost just sunk back in she was just terrified again it had been about 24 hours since denise had went home showered slept or even ate anything so police urged her to go home and get some rest but she didn't feel right she didn't feel right having any kind of comfort she didn't want to be warm she didn't want to eat she didn't want to shower she didn't want to rest until her son was back in her arms also going home would mean going and seeing all of James's stuff and she couldn't bear it. So instead she went to her mother's house to shower and also sit by the phone if police had any updates. Denise and Ralph, they didn't have a phone of their own. Money was tight, but Denise, she never minded. And they made what little they had work. After all, her greatest treasure was James. And when she had him, she was as rich as she ever needed to be. While Denise was at her mother's house, the phone rang and she eagerly answered it. She was starving for any information the police could give her about where her son was and if he had been found. When she answered the phone, the voice said, we have your son. Denise was frantic, asking who they were, where is he, and they just kept repeating, we have your son. Eventually, Denise realized it was a prank phone call, and she was slammed to the bottom of a dark pit emotionally when she realized the words that she had been desperately wanting to hear was a fucking joke by some assholes what kind of monster would think that that's funny what kind of monster would even think i know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna call this frantic worried mother and lie to her that her son is okay and we have him and give her hope who does that Sunday is another press conference. This time, Ralph speaks to the public and he urges the two boys who were seen on video to come forward and tell police what they know. An eyewitness comes forward and says she saw James with the two boys at 4.30 the Friday he went missing and she actually stopped 
to talk to them because it seemed odd these two boys had a toddler but they told her that they found him wandering alone at the shopping center and I'm not sure if they said they were bringing him home or what but she was satisfied that nothing sinister was going on and she let them proceed which nobody blames anybody there was actually quite a few people who talked to James and the boys that day when they were walking and um, you know you can't blame them they had no idea what was going on who would think that who would see a couple boys and a toddler and think oh this is an abduction so it turns out that this was one of 37 people who saw the two boys either in the shopping center or the two boys with James that day like like I said multiple people did stop and ask them questions but they seemed to talk their way out of raising suspicions even though at one point James was crying and he had a bump on his head I'm not sure if it was bleeding but he he was upset um but yeah nobody ever imagined what they were witnessing was two boys abducting a toddler so how old were these boys? Let's talk about that. We, I haven't said the ages of these two boys. Well, police thought that they were between 13 and 15 years old. The tip line setup was getting so many tips that they had to put six extra officers on the phones to cover all the calls coming in. People were wanting to find Jane. People were giving any information they had, whether it was relevant or not. They didn't know. So just everybody was like, calling in this tip line two days after the abduction of james on february 14th valentine's day officer mandy had taken denise out in her patrol car to look around the area denise had been constantly calling the police for updates and she was going stir crazy waiting by the phone not knowing what to do so officer mandy thought it would be good for denise to set her mind on something other than ringing the police every 15 minutes like she was doing which I mean, no one can blame her. So police offered to take her out looking for James. Around 3 p.m. that day, Mandy's police radio was contacted and she was told to get back to the station and turn her radio off. Denise knew immediately this was not a good sign. Earlier that day, some boys had discovered a body on the railway tracks and called police. Police go to check it out and it was in fact James and they were certain this was no accident. When Denise is brought to the police station, they break the news to her. And one of the officer in a, in a 60 minutes interview recalls hearing a guttural scream that made him cry. That scream was the cry of a mother who had been informed her baby was dead. Denise remembers being told and then waking up on the floor. It was like the world stopped and nothing was real. This couldn't be real and it couldn't be happening to her, but in a sick reality, it was. Ralph had been out searching for James when family found him and told him the gut-wrenching news. February 14th was a day most people celebrate love, but it will forever be the day of the worst nightmare imaginable for James's family. James's body was found over four kilometers from the shopping center and only 100 meters behind a police station on the railway tracks. Denise nor Ralph identified James's body as it was way too much for any parent to see their child like that. So one of the family members stepped up and took on the gruesome task. Denise was spared the details of the injuries and she never wants to hear them. This is where I'm going to give a warning because I'm going to talk about the injuries. I'm not going to talk about them in great detail, but it's going to be enough 
so you can understand the, the depravity and evilness of the murderers. So if this is something that is too much for you, then just skip ahead a few minutes. It's, it's going to be hard to hear. James's body was discovered severed in two as his body had laid across the tracks and a train had run him over, but it is believed he was already dead before that had happened. He had blue paint thrown on his face over his left eye. He had batteries shoved into his mouth. His pants and underwear were pulled down and his foreskin was forced forcibly pulled back and police are convinced he was sexually assaulted he had 42 different injuries inflicted all over his head face and body which we later find out were from being beaten with a metal bar bricks and stones being thrown at him and being kicked in the head and face the pathologist Dr. Alan Williams says it was the worst injuries he's ever seen. He also says that postmortems on, on children are already a very hard thing to deal with, but the large number of injuries that James, ha James had and the bruising just made it all the more difficult. Due to the number of horrific injuries, it was impossible to say which one was the fatal blow. Because the injuries were so horrific, police decided not to release those details to the public, which some people think may have been a mistake because it took away from the gravity of the situation and just how dangerous the killers were and what they were capable of. The night Denise got the news, she went back to her mother's house and she said she was just moving aimlessly from room to room, just suspended in an utterly numb state. An ice cream truck was outside the home serving ice cream to local children and they had a loudspeaker playing that had a radio station on and when the news came on over the speaker and the reporter announced a two-year-old boy was found dead, Denise's first thought to herself was, oh, that poor mother. Her brother then stormed outside and yelled at the truck to move on and that the truck was being disrespectful. And then Denise realized that she was that mother and that was her baby. She stayed at her mother's house for a long time because she couldn't face going home where all of James's stuff was. Police moved fast on the investigation and questioned over 50 boys, fitting the description of the boys caught on the security camera, but nothing pans out. One boy was arrested and brought in for questioning, and when the community found out the home of that boy, they basically rioted and harassed the home, and even though the boy was innocent and released, that family had to abandon their home and move out of the area. The community was terrified and angry that the murderers were still out there unknown and parents were keeping their children close when they were out in public and they were all putting their children on harnesses um, so that they could be connected to a lead and that their parents could connect it to their body or hold on to it so there was no way in hell that their child could wander off or that somebody could coax them to come with them or, or whatever this murder terrorized the community and people were so angry that this had happened police go around to local businesses and collect security footage that may have captured more images of the boys with james from the shopping center to the railway line and they do find more footage but it was such bad quality it was hard to make out any more detail although it was helpful I've heard two different accounts of what happened next, and I will say both. The first is from a 60 Minutes documentary on this case, and the policeman interviewed for the documentary says a woman came in the police station and she was very upset, and she had claimed 
that the Friday evening that James had gone missing, she was at her friend's house and her friend's son came home dirty and had blue paint all over his jacket and gave the name of the boy. And the second account I read in Denise's book said that Crime Watch, a television show, had aired an episode the same week James's body was discovered, and they aired the security footage images. And a woman calls up and said she had been on vacation, and she had just saw the news and wanted to tell them who she thinks the boys are. And she is a friend of the family and thinks it's their son and his friend because she was certain that was them captured on the security footage. And also, he is known to get in trouble and skip school with with this other boy. Either way, both leads are for the same boys, so police call the school and ask if these boys were in school that Friday, and they were informed that they had both skipped out. And that's where I'm going to stop. I'm going to wrap up this episode right here. I am, so this is a two-parter. This was part one. I'm going to release part two directly after I release this one. There will be no wait time. Um, between part one and part two's release. So thanks for listening. See you in a minute.